Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome along to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Mo speaking, and I'm really glad you could join me as I'm going to be reading a report that I've just put out called The Decentralized Revolution, Understanding the Potential of Blockchain, DeFi, Crypto, DAOs, NFTs, and the Metaverse to Drive Innovation, Creativity, and New Paradigms. This is an area that is really interesting to me, and so I hope you enjoyed this report, which was really written for myself to really understand what it is that's going on. I hope you enjoy it. Introduction. Simply by sailing in a new direction, you could enlarge the world. Alan Kernow. The Reserve Bank of New Zealand seems worried, and they should be. This white paper is a response to their recent series of issues papers, which look at the future of money and is written in the light of many technological innovations occurring right now. Similar versions of the issues papers from the Reserve Bank are being replicated across the world by other central banks who are asking themselves the same questions. While this paper has been sparked as a direct response to the Reserve Bank's papers, it does not seek to address every point that they have made for public consultation on CBDCs, that's Central Bank Digital Currency. Instead, it takes the opportunity to go to a much higher level view to examine where we are at and where we are going. My great-grandfather, whose name was Robert Conard, attended the first airplane trials of the Wright brothers in 1909, and he wrote how seeing the plane fly above him felt like he was seeing into the future. In a similar way, the change going on now feels a lot like a hundred years ago when people might have seen a motor car for the first time, wondered if it would catch on, and then gone out and bought another horse. What we're going to talk about in this white paper has the potential to disrupt old ways like those inventions. A dubious quote attributed to Henry Ford encapsulates this concept. If I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. In the same way, it feels like central authorities like banks are assuming that if they come out with a CBDC, then they will make their already existing horse, the banking system where they have control, run a bit faster, but essentially keep the system the same. Instead, decentralized finance says we don't need intermediaries. In fact, we don't need central banks at all, and it sidesteps the old infrastructure to establish a new paradigm where anyone can directly transact with anyone else. If you spend some time thinking about this, the implications are huge. How we operate in a hundred years is likely to be very different to how we have operated up until now. It's no coincidence that the instability of the 2007 financial crisis spawned a new approach to finance like this that takes power out of centrally controlled institutions. We just have not thought through the logical results that could come, yet. I think it's important to do this sort of thinking because it would be too easy to dismiss the entire decentralized revolution occurring now as being plagued by crime, dark web use, drugs, and conspiracy. But such of you would be stuck in a past we will not return to and would not show a willingness to embrace what is new and understand and grapple with the implications. By taking a higher level view, it's also possible to take a much longer term perspective and see the potential. While acknowledging that there are risks, this white paper focuses on the potential that new ways of operating introduce by decentralized finance. It also considers the type of legal and regulatory ecosystem that would allow these innovations to have the maximum positive impact. 
The white paper will not focus in too much detail on the technical aspects of each of the technologies in the title, apart from explaining what they each are in a section on definitions. Instead, the focus is on what they could mean for the future. The context is simple. Blockchain technologies introduced new ways of thinking about finance and allowed a new vocabulary to rise of DeFi, NFTs, crypto, metaverse, and more. This is much more than just talking about Bitcoin. There are philosophical questions to consider about the place of central control versus decentralized control and about the nature of individuals, collective decision-making, and even nation-state sovereignty. Just so that the reference points which this paper is working from are grounded and it is clear what has been one origin point for this white paper, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, Te Putea Matua, has issued three issues papers for consultation at the end of 2021. They say about this, The Reserve Bank is inviting your feedback on a series of issues papers to test our thinking about how we should approach our new role as stewards of the money and cash system and make sure that central bank money continues to do its job in light of significant changes affecting how New Zealanders pay, receive, and save money. The descriptions they offer of each paper and the links to them are as follows. First, the future of money, stewardship. Second, the future of money, central bank digital currencies. And third, the future of money, cash system. In my view, these papers are necessary, but do not go far enough to consider the real impacts that are underpinning the source of concern for the RBNZ. CBDCs are being consulted on, and whether they should be adopted, a narrow focus. The answer will be yes, and it should be done quickly, though the paper says multiple times it will be a slow process with lots of consulting. But the problem is the actual innovation and technology change underpinning why adopting a CBDC is an obvious answer is not being looked at. The foundational shifts are arguably more important than one outworking, which is the CBDC's issue. Because all of this has much wider flow-on impacts that could be investigated and talked about and considered. To be clear, the Reserve Bank should be considering all the other innovations set out in the title of this paper as well. What do they mean for its role and the role of money in the future? If it did that, then maybe New Zealand could become a world leader in this area and encourage an ecosystem of innovation rather than holding back and waiting for others around the world to make the first move. If this were done well, the new products, an ecosystem that encouraged innovation and the concentrating of global players, could see a reputation develop that would see us on the world stage as a leader in this arena rather than a follower. Let us turn to better understand the edges of this topic by considering the key concepts, terms, acronyms, and definitions, and then we can get into what we are really talking about. Part 1. Getting Definitions Right. And there's a quote to start this. It will take time for the idea of decentralized trust through computation to become a part of mainstream consciousness, and until then, the idea creates cognitive dissonance for those accustomed to centralized trust systems. That's Andrea Antonopoulos. The terminology and acronyms used in this area can be confusing and hinder clear understanding. In this part, we want to unpack some of the terms that are used by providing some overviews of the key concepts in less than 100 words for each. While this may be a high-level approach, it should help to give a common understanding of what we are all talking about, because a big hindrance to thinking of the future is being clear on what is meant. Each of the following phrases and concepts they represent could have books written on them, but we do not want to get bogged down by the detail. Let's get into it. First is blockchain. 
Blockchain is a way to record information that makes it hard to hack or alter because the record is held across a network of computers. Think of a chain and the way the pieces connect to each other. Each of those is a block in the chain. The blocks have transactions and new ones can be added to them. One use of many is to create digital money. Blockchain is not Bitcoin. Instead, Bitcoin uses blockchain technology. Next is DeFi. Decentralized finance, which refers to the fact that these new technologies that relate to finance are not controlled by one central body or group like in the past. So it is not centralized, it is decentralized. That is, there is no one group in charge. Crypto. Privacy is a key feature of cryptocurrency because you do not need to disclose details like you normally do when setting up a bank account. You may be confused about why a crypto would have a particular value and go up. It may be because they relate to a particular technology project. As the project grows and the coins are used in it to power decentralized applications, the price will rise. DLT, Distributed Ledger Technology, is basically another name for new ways of recording transactions with blockchain as an example of a type of DLT. The ledger part refers to where the records are kept of transactions. The distributed part is because it is not centralized, and instead it's held across several computers. Bitcoin. One digital currency that started it all. It leverages blockchain to record ownership. It began on the 3rd of January 2009. The original paper states, A purely peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. Bitcoin are created to reward mining. Mining refers to computations done on the ledger to verify transactions. Payment can be made for mining, so there is an incentive to do so. There can be large electricity costs of running the computers to solve the computations. This is becoming a common criticism of Bitcoin, as it is proof of work compared to proof of stake. See other definition below on proof. DAOs stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Because there is no one person in charge of new digital currencies, a DAO may be used to help make decisions and manage a blockchain. So the community leads through the DAO and no central figure or controller is in charge. Web 3.0 References the next form of internet. The best picture I've heard is that Web 1.0 was the era of black and white movies, so the internet exists, but it's very basic. Web 2.0 is color TV with videos, social media, and Web 3.0 is more immersive virtual reality experiences. The biggest phrase at the moment is the metaverse, see below. NFTs, non-fungible tokens. These are assets, but not in the traditional sense. Being virtual, they are stored on the blockchain. They are unique and one-off. Often they relate to digital art, at least right now, but they could relate to other assets. In summary, you own a token, which then represents an asset. Metaverse, online immersive environments where you can interact with others through augmented or virtual reality headsets. For example, log in and meet a friend across the world to play a game together and be present even if apart. This was depicted in the 2018 movie Ready Player One. Decentralized, information held across a network of nodes rather than centrally, often means activities of an organization or initiative are decided without reference to authority of one person or people in power. Cash. Something our children will look at with curiosity one day and ask what that paper and metal was for. Wallet. A place to store digital currency. 
These are an app you download, and then you have an identifying number for each currency you hold in the wallet, so you can transfer tokens in or out. A cold wallet refers to a physical device to keep crypto offline, HODL, a slang term used to describe holding a cryptocurrency rather than selling it, particularly during times of high volatility. Stablecoin. A stablecoin has its value tied to another asset, which means it is often stable and less volatile than other cryptos. Proof. Proof of stake versus proof of work. Mining uses energy to fuel computations, proof of work, compared to mining power being based on the percentage of coins held, proof of stake, which uses less energy. CBDCs. An acronym for Central Bank Digital Currency, this is what the Reserve Bank of New Zealand is currently consulting on. They are not the only ones. Countries around the world are trying to grapple with what the new technology means for their role in relation to money going forward, where they are not necessarily involved in money their citizens use due to new private digital currencies that may be favored instead. Fiat money. This type of money is issued by a government, but it is not related to some underlying asset like gold. Instead, the government issues it so they control more of their economy. This is in contrast to commodity money, where some value is inherent within it, e.g. the coin itself is silver or gold, and representative money, where the bank note represents some actual commodity. So fiat money depends a lot on trust. Smart contract. A smart contract is a program on the blockchain. When certain conditions are met, it runs, which means no intermediary is needed. FUD. Fear, uncertainty, doubt, often leads to volatility in these sorts of markets. AR, VR, augmented reality and virtual reality, these will have big parts to play in the metaverse as online becomes more immersive. So those are some definitions. I hope that's helpful. How might all this look in terms of practical examples of money flows? Let's look at that on the next page. And then we have a diagram showing four people. And in the middle, there's a picture of a bank. And basically, there's arrows going from person to person as well as the bank. And that's traditional centralized control. So the bank is quite central in the middle. And the next picture shows decentralized. And there's literally no bank showing. It's just all the people. And there's arrows pointing around from each of them to each other. Part two. So what are we really talking about? There's a quote to start this section. If you have your own currency, you have your own governance, so each currency becomes their own mini-government. Mini-government is a big word, but it's a body that is governed in a decentralized manner where users have a say, where there's oversight and transparency. William Mugayar. The change which is coming is simple. We are really talking about a shifting of power. In the past, various kinds of power have been centralized rather than spread widely. For example, a central bank controls the currency of a country. With advances in technology, there are new paradigms of how things are done, and a key one is the idea of greater decentralization of power. Let's logically set out the flow here of why this all might matter. The key elements which are why these developments are of interest to players like the Reserve Bank, the traditional holder of power in relation to money, can be shown by this flowchart. Then there's a whole bunch of boxes with text, and there's arrows leading from one to the other. So I'll just read out what's in them. The first box says, The key innovation on which the possibility of decentralization is based is blockchain technology. Blockchain is a way to record information that makes it hard to hack or alter because the record is held across a network of computers. Just one outworking of blockchain technology is the growth of digital currencies, which do not have an intermediary, being a bank or other institution. 
Just one example of digital currencies is the most famous one, Bitcoin, but it is not the only one. There are now several thousands of different coins. All of this means that a transaction, I send a coin from my account to yours, is recorded and verified on a network, which is public, a distributed ledger, without the need for a bank at all. My ownership is proven by my holding access to the coins I own, i.e. possession, rather than being based on my identity, so by contrast, bank accounts relate to the identity of a person. And then finally, rather than there being a central player, a bank, government, or institution, decentralization means that there is a broader, more diverse group which decide things and verify information. For all these reasons, I can understand why the Reserve Bank of New Zealand and other central banks across the world are wrestling with what it might mean for them. Traditionally, they have been the issuers of money. If that can be done by others, then does that undermine their role? What value does the dollar they oversee have if a lot of us start using other forms of currency to buy and sell things instead? I would be worried if I were them. The discussion paper on the future of money asks for input on whether they should introduce a central bank digital currency. The context around which they frame this shows the legacy of thinking about the role as stewards of money and cash. That is, they play the central role. This is also implied by the first word in CBDCs of central. This flies in the face of the innovation that a CBDC would draw on, which are founded on concepts of decentralization and taking power away from central authorities. In their paper, they note in the executive summary, the Reserve Bank's overall belief is that a CBDC would be a useful development for central bank money because it would both support the value anchor role of central bank money and support the ability of central bank money to act as a fair and equal way to pay and save. In each example of the reasons there and elsewhere in the paper, it is about preserving the role of the central bank in the financial system, ensuring the role of central bank money versus new forms of currency, and preserving their role to use central bank money to influence monetary policy and, for example, make decisions that would impact on inflation. I think that they spell out what they are really worried about most clearly on page 14, and this is a quote. Private innovations in new forms of money are emerging globally. Some of these new forms of money might sit outside current financial sector regulations or be denominated in new units of account, i.e. not New Zealand dollars. Notably, large technology companies have proposed issuing global stablecoins. These instruments promise more efficient and innovative means of paying and might obtain rapid global adoption due to the market power of their issuers. Central banks and regulators around the world have responded to the prospect of global stablecoins by making clear their potential risks, issuing statements requesting that these risks be managed, and investigating the potential for CBDCs as alternatives. If a global stablecoin were issued successfully in New Zealand, the Reserve Bank could face a scenario where a potentially large number of transactions and savings would be conducted outside New Zealand and offshore. This could limit our ability to use monetary policy to influence interest rates and therefore inflation and employment targets, which would mean a loss of monetary sovereignty for New Zealand. It seems to me that reading between the lines of this and other comments, they are most concerned with their role if other digital currencies become popular, displacing domestic New Zealand dollar importance, and the loss of financial stability and ability to influence monetary policy if that occurs. This would be a natural concern for a player which right now is the central authority when it comes to money when faced with decentralized funds. As they say, new forms of money might sit outside current financial sector regulations or be denominated in new units of account, i.e. not New Zealand dollars. 
What the current power systems and institutions will struggle with is that the old rules do not apply easily to the new technology. How they adapt to new technology that spreads power and means they cannot control things centrally. It's about an attitude when it comes to new technology and realizing the old rules may not apply at all and that their role may not apply either as their system itself shifts like sand under their feet. For example, I remember when I first started at the University of Canterbury and was given my first email. What was an email? At that time in the early 1990s, it must have been a big question for the authorities. What was the best way to think about email and how it should fit in the rules? Was it like a letter or was it something else? We know that the same laws and rules that apply to letters in the postal system should not apply to emails. There's no need to buy stamps to send an email. Maybe we'd have less spam if there was some charge. In the same way, the old rules about finance probably should not apply to decentralized finance and the new technologies behind it. So what are the opportunities and potential of this new way of doing things? Part 3. What is the potential? And another quote. Through decentralized cryptography, Bitcoin eliminates the need for banking intermediaries, significantly lowering transaction costs, and could liberate poverty-stricken economies around the globe by providing access to capital to the one-third of humanity that is excluded from the financial world. Perianne Boring. DeFi allows financing activities to occur organized by organizations that are not traditional and which in the past would have been done by banks and others. There will be failures on the way and bubbles that will pop as well, but the trend is clear, more decentralization and less centralized control. This also means fewer intermediaries between players in a market. What this might mean is that, and then there's a series of bullet points here, which are kind of guesses, but maybe some of them will come true. First, there could be a democratization of finance. That is, in places such as developing markets where people cannot access funding as easily, they might be able to do so using DeFi. Another reason, provide greater access to funds than traditional lenders for entrepreneurs in small or medium-sized businesses and startups. The administration and bureaucracy of traditional finance through bank accounts can be short-circuited by allowing direct interactions between people. Impact investors could support projects directly without needing to go through layers of financial institutions in order to loan funds directly to groups that they want to support. Those groups might be less formal than previously as until now entities have been essential, but instead people might organize around a project without a formal legal structure also existing. This is where DAOs might have a part to play. That would need to be the subject of a whole white paper on its own. I would like to write one next and explore what governance would look like and how they are being used overseas even now, and of all places, the state of Wyoming. Onboarding of clients, anti-money laundering, proof of identity, etc. could become less relevant as it's a pseudo-anonymous environment. DeFi is not dependent on the same sources of trust as it relies on distributed ledgers and consensus showing who owns what. There's growing interoperability between different systems, cryptos, and traditional finance. Traditional white-collar jobs in the West might end up being outsourced to a country like India, where there are literally tens of millions who might be able to do the same tasks but be paid in crypto. Without complicated transfer fees, conversion rates, timing issues, that becomes a real possibility. And this idea was discussed by Balaji Srinivasan on episode 506 of The Tim Ferriss Show. Might we see a decline of the nation state and the rise of cities and smaller units where people affiliate with them instead, 
based on what they offer citizens so that cities themselves begin to recruit entrepreneurs and others to join them. That was in the same podcast episode. It's a really good one, actually, but it's about four hours. There will be more implications, but this is a start and gives a sense of some of the issues to think about. The point is that there are going to be a lot more flow-on impacts than just whether the Reserve Bank of New Zealand should adopt a CBDC or not. There are three areas of potential which I think might be worth exploring further. First is DAOs. How might decentralized autonomous organizations actually work in practice, and what are the legal implications of a structure which sits outside of traditional frameworks of organization and governance? Could this intersect with developments here around nature itself being given rights? like the Wanganui River. Second, philanthropy. What might a blockchain or crypto solution which focused on community housing look like? Could we issue tokens which correspond to the success of a rent-to-own scheme where the impact was measured in more than just dollar returns, but took into account educational standards being lifted, greener houses being built, and increased employment measures? These are hard to record, but truly shift the dial on poverty and impact. We plan to explore this at Community Finance, where I am involved, and I'm the chair of the board, so that's my intersection with Community Finance. Third is nation-states. If I can transfer value to others without needing intermediaries, then what role does the nation-state play within such a world, which might become more organized around technology projects that provide value via tokens and integrate across most aspects of life? There might be reorganization of societies that center around membership of smaller units rather than nations. Conclusion. What should we be talking about? And there's another quote. There is enormous inertia, a tyranny of the status quo. Only a crisis, actual perceived, produces real change. When that crisis occurs, the actions that are taken depend on the ideas that are lying around. That, I believe, is our basic function, to develop alternatives to existing policies, to keep them alive and available until the politically impossible becomes the politically inevitable. And that's by Milton Friedman. This conclusion can be short, because the challenge is simple. Why is it that Wyoming, of all places, should be on the global radar of innovation? Because they have passed forward-looking legislation for DAOs. What if New Zealand were to become the global leader in this area across these new technologies discussed in this paper? If that were done, then this country might attract technology companies and individuals to base themselves from here. With the increase of remote work, it is certainly conceivable that we could become known for having an innovative ecosystem in this area. There is no putting these technologies back in the box. They will grow and lead to more innovations. The question is whether we want to be part of that conversation and lead the way forwards proactively. That is what we need to be discussing. So that's the end of the white paper. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, why not share this with someone else? It's also a download at the link in the show notes. And I think as you can tell from that paper, I mean, for me, this is just a really fascinating area, thinking about what the future might actually hold. I'm really keen for feedback. So if you've got some thoughts, feel free to drop me an email at steven at theseeds.nz. And don't forget, this is one of almost 300 episodes of Seeds Podcast. Normally, I'm interviewing inspiring people, but occasionally I do these little white papers or read reports or books or things that I've been writing um, just as a way to make it more accessible. Um, and really, it's because I helped somebody set up a charity for people who are going blind. 
And that made me really understand that making content accessible across platforms is really important, not just to keep it as the written word. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this and you got something out of it. And thanks very much for listening this far. Until next time. Music